Hi folks, Jack Spierko here. Today you are listening to an episode of TSP Rewind. <laughs> Commercial free versions of past episodes. Podcasts blast from the past. I put these up when I can't do a show due to professional commitments or rare vacations. These podcasts will appear in standard iTunes, Stitcher, and other feeds, but will be titled TSP Rewind Episodes and numbered accordingly. And today, folks, we are rewinding back to October the 3rd, 2019, far less than a year ago. I got back on track, and I'm doing the uh, doing, doing them in order again. Uh, this will be the the second to the last one, and it is a uh, it's also a challenging one. I kind of think that the most challenging ones ended up being toward the end of the series. This one is called "What If Everyone Did What They Most Wanted to Do," and I I got the idea of this one from Richard Bach in the book Illusions, which is a book if you haven't read, you really should. It it, it is a, a complete work of fiction. But it, it does a great job of changing the way that you use your imagination, which is key to getting what you want, which is what this whole series is really about. But in that book, at one point, Richard, uh, ha Richard's uh, mentor in this, a guy named Donald, says the best way to avoid responsibilities is to say I've got responsibilities. And there's also a point at which uh, Donald is challenged by an angry person who says, what if everybody did what you did? What if everybody did what they most wanted to do? And his response is, I think we'd have the happiest planet this side of the universe if everybody did what they most want to do. There's actually most misery and anger and resentment and control and systemic compliance results from people doing things they consider to be a responsibility. And they do when they do that, they're actually avoiding their true responsibility to themselves. And that is to be, what also comes from this book, what's known as the otters of the universe. That we're really here to, to learn and to have fun. And that there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that at all. That doesn't negate work. I mean, the otters do a lot of work to get that shell open when they beat it on that rock that they put on their chest. But they enjoy their lives. Why, why can't humanity enjoy our lives? Does that challenge you? Do you feel yourself bristle a little bit against that? See, that's because you've been conditioned to believe that life is supposed to be a struggle. Now, who benefits if the masses believe that life is supposed to be a struggle? Well, the people of power who benefit from the struggle. Like we, Everything's been bent to make you believe that. Religion, education, well, that's really all you need. Once you have religion and education specifically bent to convince people that struggle is natural and real and it's a natural state that you're supposed to be in, well then, you can pretty much get them to do anything you want them to do. Life has become a lot like a game of chess, but I think when I use that analogy, it requires a little bit more explanation, so I'm going to give it to you today. Imagine that you have two, two people playing chess, but their goal is not to defeat each other. Their goal is to make the board look a certain way by the end of the game. It's not really about one winning or one losing. They want certain pieces in certain places on the board. Now imagine in this game of chess that there are certain rules that not only will a knight move the way that a knight moves on a chessboard, that if there is a piece that the knight can take in certain scenarios, the knight must take the piece. The knight cannot abstain from taking the piece, which of course is opposite of chess when we're trying to defeat each other. Now in this game of chess, it's more like the real world. That if there are certain things that if I have a group of people that feel a certain way and I create a certain stimulus, they will respond a certain way. And it's very easy to move them when they're a crowd. It's very hard to move an individual. It's very hard to move an individual. 
A person is smart. People are dumb, stupid animals. Right? Something like that is what Tommy Lee Jones' character said in Men in Black. Right? Scared, stupid. That's what a crowd is. So it's easy to move. So now you have these two people playing chess. Now let's also imagine in this game of chess that there are things that spontaneously happen. So all of a sudden a pawn or a knight or a bishop or a queen or whatever may just appear on the board in any given place. But when it appears there, like a set of riots, it is subject to the rules of the game. Provided a certain stimulus, it will move to a certain position and it will engage a certain other piece. And now imagine that the two people playing the game are in complete agreement of how they want that board to look. How easy is it for them to get what they want? It's, it's really easy. But it's predicated on people not doing what they want, but following a mob. And a mob that's been collectively led to believe that to struggle is normal, and to fight with your fellow man is expected. And that the only way you'll ever get what you want is to take it from somebody else by some means, whether you do it directly in direct theft or whether you do it by proxy through the force of the state because you're too much of a coward to put the gun in your in your neighbor's face and say, hey, the roads need to be fixed, so you better cough up some money, so you pay somebody else to do it for you. That's, that's the society we live in, and it is predicated on the belief that you don't deserve what you want, and that if everybody did what they most wanted to do, we would literally burn down in chaos. So I ask you, if you did what you most wanted to do, Would you really go next door and start stealing shit from your neighbor? Would you go down the road and start setting people's houses on fire if you really did what you most wanted to do? And I know what happens. People say, well, that's true of me, but... Uh, hold on. Exactly how many of these people that would, like, if they did what they most wanted to do, would go out and harm people? How many of them do you think there are? Oh, there's a lot of them. And how many of them are already doing those things? Most. If not all. Most people that will harm people don't... Isn't that our whole point when we say we, we're for the right to keep and bear arms? That somebody who will harm you doesn't care if you pass a law that says they can't have a gun? They'll have a gun anyway. If they don't have a gun, they'll come beat you to death with a hammer and you'll have no way to defend yourself. Isn't that our whole point? Isn't that point correct? So doesn't that mean that most people actually, if they did what they most wanted to do, would not go around harming others and the people that do that would harm others probably are anyway? Do you really want to steal from anybody? Most people who are anarchists are not anarchists because they want to steal from people. They find stealing reprehensible. The, the true anarchy position is one of moralism. It's I believe that taking from somebody else is wrong always. Giving me a title, giving me a badge, having a bunch of people say they agree with me and voting for me and my position doesn't change the fact that me taking from somebody else is is stealing and it's wrong and I don't want to do it it doesn't mean that men are angels I think one of the founders said if men were angels there would be no need of a state but maybe just maybe if we didn't convince people that they needed to pick a side see their fellow man as the enemy, and that struggle was their natural state, and they actually went out and tried to do the things they most wanted to do in their lives for themselves. We need a lot less of a state. How about that? So, what is your step of the day? Second to the last one. 
This one's going to be pretty easy because it gives you something to do. So the only thing that prevents you from doing this is laziness. I want you to start finding people who have what you want. And when I say I want you to find people who have what you want, I don't just mean people who have time freedom. I mean, not only do they have time freedom, they're doing the very thing that you would do. By now you should have a pretty clear vision of what that is. You should be going over the things you want every day. So here's an example. Recently my wife and I were thinking about taking a vacation to Alaska. And we found a couple. They have a business and they have a huge following on YouTube. And all they do is drive around in their RV and video all the stuff that they do and post YouTube videos. And they've built a whole business off of it. Now, I don't know how much money they make, but I know enough that they have been able to live out of their RV traveling all over the country for several years now without anything approaching a real job. You know, in quotes, a real job, right? That's what they're doing. Now, am I going to emulate them? No, because you know what I don't want to do? I don't want to spend my entire life running around in an RV. That's actually not... It's not that I'm opposed to that. I just... It's not what I want. That's not what I most want to do. So... Just by looking at that, some people would say, maybe I should do that because then I wouldn't have to work a job and I would have money. But if, if you didn't want to live out of an RV that way, then following their example would probably be bad. But if you did, that would be one group of people you could say, this is someone for me to emulate. So I want you to find those people, whether you find them in real life and you can talk to them directly or you find them online. Just find them. And then the next part is examine what they did to get there. Because it's crazy. But like if you wanted a fire and you couldn't figure out how to build a fire and you went and saw somebody build a fire and you did the things they did, you'd probably get a fire. If you're like, oh, so holding a match up to a big stick of wood doesn't work. Look what they're doing. Oh, they're scraping bark off of a cedar. There's a cedar. I can do that too. Okay, You don't even have to know that it's called tinder. You just know that it goes there. And, oh, look, little sticks and some dry grass. Okay, I'll get that. Put that in there. Okay, now some bigger sticks and twigs. Now, wh what are they doing? They're, they're piling up a whole bunch of somewhat larger wood, but they're not putting it in the fire yet. Uh, I don't know. They got a fire last time. I think I'm going to do it. Okay, but, and now they're getting some really big logs, like I want to burn. They're also not putting those in the fire. They're setting them there. Okay, look, now they've ignited the, that little ball of stuff. What did the guy call it? He called it tinder? Okay, tinder. Like, like the tinder. Oh, look. Okay, now what's he doing? Okay, they've got a good fire, but he's waiting. Oh, nope, there goes a couple sticks. I'll put a couple sticks on, too. Okay, the sticks are starting to burn a little more. And you, like, oh, I got a fire now. It's the most natural thing for human beings to do. It, it's an incredibly natural state to be in, to, to emulate. Primitive species compared to humans do the same thing. If you, if, you, if you understand how you bring up poultry, you know that mimicry is how they learn everything. If you get one duck to preen after it comes out of the, one duckling to preen after it comes out of the water, then another duck does it, then another duck does it, and pretty soon all your ducklings can go in the water and come out, and nobody freezes to death because everybody learns how to preen. One had enough natural instinct to start doing it, and then everybody emulated it, and now everybody's better for it because they've all learned the system. Turkey poults often don't know how to eat, as crazy as that sounds, and one pulled pecks out of instinct, and a little food gets in their mouth. They're like, oh, because there's no mommy turkey there, right? So, mm, mm, mm. well, that was peck, mm, yeah. and everybody's like, well, what are you doing? What are you doing? Peck, oh, okay. And all of a sudden, all the poles are pecking. Everybody's eating, full bellies. Oh, that was a pleasant experience. Look at the giant hand is bringing more of that stuff. Let's go peck it. This is a, this is a natural state for living organisms, emulation. And emulation 
as long as you're emulating proper behavior, almost always results in what that behavior results in. So if you go find, if one of the things you want is to have a really good capital reserve of money, and you go find people that have good capital reserves of money, and we're not talking about moguls like Bezos again, right? We're talking about blue-collar millionaire types. And you just look at their behavior, and you emulate their behavior for about the same amount of time they did it, and you actually stick to the plan, you'll probably end up with a significant amount of capital reserves and money. If you want a farm, and you go look at somebody that bought a farm and made it work, and, pay, and set the farm up to the point where it pays for itself, and you do exactly what they did, assuming like you don't go try to do what somebody's doing on a farm in Vermont, on a farm in southern Georgia, like there's certain things you can learn, but you, you really do have to adapt to the climate, the market, the regulations, etc. But if you find people doing it where you're doing, where you want to do it, and you do what they did, you'll probably end up with a productive, successful farm. Now, there is a certain amount of skill set, but in the end, you develop skill through action, and you find the path to where you want to be by finding someone to go there. Think about it this way. You want to go to a place. You want to go to a place you've never been before. You don't know how to get there. I mean physically in a car. What do you do? You know what you do. You get on your phone. You pull up your map app. You put in an address. And it says, go this way. Everything you want in life works the same way. Someone did it. Go do what they did. You can have it too. Now, what you'll say is, but, you know, I found in almost all of these people, I've heard this objection before, in all, all these people, there were certain points along the way where they got lucky. They didn't get lucky. They were presented with an opportunity that they were in the right mental state, the right emotional state, and the right state of readiness to capitalize on because they want on the path in the first place. And you might be on that path. and might have an opportunity you can't take because you're not sufficiently to a point where you can take that opportunity. And sometimes that will happen, and the best thing to do is not, because you're not ready yet. Only you can make that determination. But sometimes taking an opportunity at the wrong time can completely derail you. You don't have enough money to be able to do this properly at this point. But you know what that opportunity looks like now. And now that it happened... When you are ready, you can recreate it for yourself. But that's what I want you to do. I want you to find a, a group of people, not one, and I don't mean a group like all in one place. I want you to find at least four or five people. And with the Internet today, it's so much easier than it was back in the 80s. Right? I learned this system back in the, the early 90s, honestly. After I got out of the military, one of my mentors taught me this. Go find people that have what you want. Talk to them. Learn how they, they got it, and you can have it too. Crazy sound. Well, you had to actually go out and network. Today, you can actually find people, and most people today that have built these lifestyle types up that you can find, they've actually, if you go back to the beginning of their shit when they sucked, they documented everything. It's all there for you. It's free. And most of those people, if you reach out to them and say, hey, I'm just getting started out, you know, do you, can you help me? And they might even say, look, I don't have time to like individually mentor you. But here's four or five pieces of content from back in the day, so to say, that, that actually you can just see what I've done. If you want to know how to do a podcast, you can go and search the Survival Podcast website, and you can find shows where I've, I've actually given out the entire formula for how I built the show for free. For free. Just here it is. Right? It exists if that's what you actually want to do. Don't do it if it's not what you want. I do this because I'm passionate about it. I love this. I'm literally doing what I most want to do when I do this podcast. I'm literally 
a case study for the episode that you're about to hear. Everything in my heart, everything in my soul, everything that I have is most dedicated to helping others through giving them the knowledge that I have through teaching. And I learned over the years to have enough humbleness as a teacher to realize a couple things. One, some people aren't ready for what you teach. Don't worry. It's okay. Two, some students will advance beyond what you can teach and go do things for themselves. That means you're successful. That does not mean you failed. Some people will already be at such an advanced state when they come across you that you won't be of any use to them. That's also fine. Maybe you can learn from them. But everything that I'm about is about that conveyance of knowledge. And I love to entertain as well. This is what I do. Because it's what I most want to do. The other things that I most want to do is I love having my little experiments, my gardens, etc. I love being with my family. I have literally built a life based on what I most want to do. And the total number of people I harmed to get here is zero. I never, I'm not saying I've never harmed anybody along the way. I've never hurt anybody along the way. I certainly have. And in almost every instance that I've caused pain in somebody's life, I was not doing what I really wanted to do. I can go back to high school, and I tried to be a good friend to people, and I tried to stand up for people, but in the end, like all kids, you put people in that social pecking order, and there's some people I said some things to as a teenager that I really wish I could go back to and tell them, I'm sorry that I ever said that to you. But I wasn't being what I most wanted to be. And I think you'll find if you, if you, the way you'll give yourself permission to follow this episode is if you go back and think at points in your life where you really wish you could take something back, not so much a decision you made that was bad for you, right? But something you did or said that hurt somebody else, if you examine that, it will be very difficult to say that you were doing what you most wanted to do. Very difficult for you to believe that. You really will. You'll even, even if you say, like, I, I talked to somebody recently who I really respect and they said, back then I was a piece of shit. But I bet you if that person examined it, it wasn't because they were being themselves. It's because they weren't. It's because they weren't. So with that, I want you to find people that have what you want and examine what they did to get it. And I'm going to add to that as we go back to this other episode. I bet very few of them got there because they won the lottery. They all had a system that they worked long enough. And you can have the, the advantage that many of them didn't. You can look at what worked for them and figure out what works best for you, and you can combine systems. With that, let's go ahead and rewind back to October the 3rd, 2019, originally episode 2523. What if everyone did what they most wanted to do? Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tougher, even if they don't. Today is September, September, it's October the 3rd, 2019. It's Thursday. Sometimes we do a listener call show today. Today we're not. Not because I don't have enough calls. I've got a pretty decent log of calls. We're doing a uh, standalone show today because it's easier and faster for me to do one. People think that the call shows are the easy ones to do, but they're they're really not. There's a lot of diversity in them. Sometimes I get thrown back on my feet and got to do some research. Some of the calls suck, and I got to edit them to make them work. Like the easiest show for me actually to do is just pick a topic and run with it. 
The reason I'm doing that today is uh, I was uh, asked by Nicole Sauce from our expert council to do an interview with her for her podcast. Uh, we expected it wouldn't go 40 minutes ish, and it went an hour and 40 minutes. And maybe she'll get two out of it. I don't know. And then I had a bunch of other stuff going on this morning. So it is now 2:30 in the afternoon, and I am recording this podcast finally. So. I've got to do this more a lot like back when I was in the car in the very beginning, the first 18 months of the show. So I was thinking, what can I just talk about with people today? And for some reason, probably a lot to do with how much we talked about liberty today on Nicole's show, um, it's the question that I often ask people that leads them to look horrifically at me as though I have said that we should go out and start murdering babies with uh, frozen baby seals that were also killed with a board. Like, you know, we should get a board, go beat a baby seal with it, bring the baby seal home, freeze the baby deal solid, and then go to hospitals and go into infant wards and start beating children to death with baby seals. That's how they look at me when I ask this question. And I'll tell you the story about when I asked this question at a church group back when I used to go to churches and uh, the looks people gave me. I'll wait till we get into it to tell you that. But the question is simply, what if everybody did what they most wanted to do? seems like a very harmless question to me. Of course, I've actually thought about it with logic and reason and uh, common sense versus just, oh, my God. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And then it's going to lead me to ask you, how much of what you do already really is what you most want to do? And what's holding you back from doing the things that you really, really most want to do? And how are you avoiding your responsibility to yourself? That'll tie into our quote of the day. In fact, let's just go to our quote of the day. We've got to make this show quick. So let's talk about our quote of the day today. It's from one of my favorite authors, Richard Bach. And I have, I have actually given you guys this quote before, but when I was thinking about doing today's show, I was like, All right, this has got to be the quote of the day. It's got to be because it fits perfectly. Richard Bach said in his book, Illusions, Confessions of a Reluctant Messiah, the best way to avoid responsibility is to say, I've got responsibilities. That's really what we're going to be talking about today. That, that's it in a nutshell. That's what makes things notable quotes when they can say so much with so little. So many people use as an excuse as to why they won't fulfill their number one responsibility, which is to themselves, to take care of themselves, their health, their life, their happiness, because you can't be a good, a good provider if you're miserable. You can't. You'll make your family miserable, too. You can't be miserable and not make the people around you miserable. So you, you have to be happy. And I don't mean happy all the time, like a person you want to punch in the face because they're always happy. I mean, in general, you have to be happy with your life. You have to be healthy or you'll die or you'll be sick. And the people you think you're taking care of will have to take care of you. We have to see to our own selves first. We really do. Uh, Nicole put it this way when we were talking about this subject today on her show. You can be selfish and not greedy, even though we've been told something else. But how many people, when they say, well, this is what I really want, and it's all noble things, and you say, well, why don't you do it? Well, I've got responsibilities. As though that's an excuse to ignore your responsibility to yourself. That's what Richard was talking about. So with that, let's plunge headlong into it today. Um, I want to ask you, what actually prevents you from doing what you most want to do? And as we talk about this, I'm going to jump ahead one of my bullet points here. Please note that when I ask this question, or what I, when I ask the question of what would happen if everybody did what they most wanted to do in life, I never said we should remove any of the consequences for doing bad or stupid things. You know, we can, we can 
get into whether the state needs to be involved or not. But the, the truth is, if you do bad or stupid things, there are negative consequences to it. Karma, without any metaphysical components to it, is a real thing. If you're a dick to people, people are a dick to you back. If you're a thief, once you're known as a thief, no one will have you and no one will trust you. So stealing has a consequence. If you want, if what you say, what I most want to do is drink myself stupid every day, eventually you will blow up your liver. I never said we should remove the consequences. Or that we should tell people, you should do what you want to do in spite of the consequences. Or we should hide consequences for people. What I simply said, I didn't even say people should do what they most want to do. I'm inferring it. I simply asked, what would happen if most people simply did what they most want to do? So I'm asking you, what prevents you from doing it? And you might say a lack of money. A lack of money is a situation. It's a circumstance. If you do really stupid things with your money, you'll have less. That's a consequence. So not doing what you most want to do, I don't have enough money, is not an answer. With the money that you have, why don't you do what you most want to do under the circumstance that you're in? See, it's a much deeper question. Because if you say, well, what I most want to do is have 8,000 acres and live in the middle of nowhere and have you know a, a hunting preserve or whatever it is, well, they, that's not what I mean. Now you're trying to use a fantasy to prevent you from answering a question based in reality. I'm asking you a serious question today. What prevents you from doing what you most want to do? And when people hear that, let me tell you the story of when I said this at a church group. So I used to be uh, basically a lay minister in, in, in the church. And as part of that, I was in discussion groups. And just for anybody that's new to the show doesn't understand, I am no longer a believer in any organized faith. And what I just told you should tell you that getting in touch with me and telling me if I just knew probably isn't going to work. I am what you call a deist. I believe in a God, a higher power, a creator, a original force, something bigger than us. And that is all that I believe, and I don't try to define it. But I, I used to be deeply involved with the church. And I one time was leading a discussion group, and I simply asked, what would happen if everybody did what they most want to do? And again, the look I got from people was abject horror. How could this young man who has been such a great leader in our organization, who has helped so many people make such a damn near satanic statement, do what thou wilt, right? Of course, I didn't say that. They would have really freaked out because wilt, that must be paganism. They'll, they'll ignore the second part of that and, and, it, and it harm none, right? Um, but I wasn't even going there. I just... Honest question. What do you think would happen? So the horror was really unnecessary. What if I had said, what do you think would happen if people walked into a burning building? People would say, well, don't do that. You'll get burned up. I mean, what if I had said, what if people just uh, save 10% of their income? They would say, well, that's great. You know, you'll have a nest egg. And if I said, well, what if people didn't save any money at all? Then they would not look horror. They wouldn't be like, oh, my God, I can't believe you said that. They would answer the question. They would say, well, if people didn't save any of their money, they would be financially strapped if anything went wrong. The reason they looked with horror when I said, 
what would happen if everybody did what they most wanted to do wasn't because they didn't they didn't want to answer the question directly. They didn't want to face what the answer would mean for them. So they conjured the worst of humanity into their minds to prevent their mind from having to answer the question because it would lead them to have to confront why they're not happy in their lives. It's cognitive dissonance. It's a defensive mechanism. Because the horror is, well, then there would be anarchy like on TV, like dark black anarchy, like what they tell us anarchy really is, right? The people would just be lighting the cities on fire. People would be throwing babies out of buildings. Men would just run around raping women. Uh, little children would be drugged from behind cars. Uh, dogs and cats would get together and have puppy kittens. I mean, if everybody did what they just wanted to do, we would literally create hell on earth. That was the face that they gave me. But if that's the answer, why not just say that? Why be horrified by the question? I mean, if I asked, what would happen if you put your penis in a vice and started turning it and didn't stop when it hurt? When it hurt? They would say, well, don't do that because you'll crush your penis. It'll hurt really bad. You won't have a penis anymore. It'll suck. If I said, well, what would happen if you put your penis in a beehive and beat on the roof? They'd say, well, that's stupid. Don't do that. You'll get stung in the dick. Don't do that. They would look at me with horror. They might look at me like it's a little weird, but they wouldn't have been horrified by the question. I could have asked almost any question of doing something really bad or really stupid I wanted to, and what people would have simply said is, well, then bad things would happen. They wouldn't have been horrified. They horrified themselves. Because intrinsically we know that we hold ourselves back, that we limit ourselves, that we do not achieve that which we want in life by making excuses about why it's not right to do. Because let me ask you this. If you did what you most wanted to do, And I know you might be angry at a politician and think, well, I'd drag him down the road behind my truck. But would you really? If you, if you prioritized things I most want to do in my life, even if there might be some bad things on the list, how many of them would be at the top? If I told you, you can do what you most want to do and you actually believe me, would you go out and start robbing old ladies? Would you go set your neighbor's house on fire? What I said to the people in the church was, I can see that everybody looks really horrified by that. And I noticed that nobody actually answered it. So let me ask you another question. If you were to do what you most wanted to do right now, how many of you would go outside and start breaking windows out of the cars and stealing the possessions of your fellow members of this church? And they all looked at their age like, no, of course I wouldn't do that. Okay. And I said, okay, so how many of you right now in this, in this room, in this discussion group, We're forced to come here. Everybody looked around. Well, no. Okay, so how many of you do feel an obligation to come to church? Hands, Every hand goes up damn near, right? Like there's an obligation to come to church. Okay, I said, okay. So that's to go to church and to listen to the preacher and, and everything. And how many of you feel that it's required that you come to this discussion group and be here, that this is some sort of obligation that you have? And like one or two people kind of did like a Biden thing with their hand and thought about it, you know, with the little finger and from the debate and then to kind of put their hands down. And most people just kind of looked around like, where the hell is this going? But I don't really know what to say to that. And I said, so isn't it the case that everybody that's here today for this discussion came here because under your current circumstances in life, at this moment, in this part of this Sunday, this is what you most wanted to do? 
And if it isn't what you most want to do, since it's not an obligatory thing, it's not something you're obliged to do, why are you here? And then most people agree that, like, this actually is kind of where I want to be right now. I enjoy these discussions. I enjoy discussing my faith. I enjoy being challenged. I enjoy, you know, communicating with other people. Many people actually said, you know, actually the truth is in these groups, I, I actually, I don't want to admit it, but I enjoy this more than sitting in, in, in a church service. So you're doing what you most want to do under your circumstances right now based on your desire to understand more about your religion. Everybody agreed, yes. Then why does the question, what would happen if everybody did what they most wanted to do, horrify you? They still weren't ready. So I went back to, none of you feel that if you were to do what you most want to do, you'd go out and start harming people, stealing from people, or hurting people right now. No. Okay. Then, then what is your concern with everybody doing what they most want to do? And then it came. The, the, like the floodgates were open. Everybody felt like they had permission to say it. Well, some people would some people would rob people. Some people would stab people. Some people would rape people. Some people would commit arson. If everybody did what they most want to do, some people would do bad things. Great. Don't those people do bad things already? And everybody looked around, confused again. And then you could see the cognitive distance start to creep back in. Just as everybody was over, you could see it creeping back in. The, 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 the facial expression of the brain literally hurting because you'd been exposed to this thing that you don't want to be exposed to because it takes away your excuse for not fulfilling your own dreams. And But if they do bad things now, then they get arrested. They're afraid. Like people will do something. If, they, if, like if somebody sees somebody trying to hurt an old lady, they'll step in or the police will come and take them away. And I said, did I say that we would remove the consequences of doing what you most want to do? Then everybody looked around a little bit now, like you could see actual fear that this, this day of being challenged in your beliefs is going to lead somewhere maybe you don't want to go. Back to yourself, right? But this is what you do when you're a leader in a discussion. You challenge people's beliefs. Well, no, you, you didn't say anything about removing the consequences. I said, so even like the police or whatever, like if you were standing on the street and you saw somebody run up and take an old lady's handbag and try to steal it from her, she was fighting back, what would you do? Well, especially the men in the group, like, I would go over there and stop it. Well, why would you do it? Because it's the right thing to do. Okay, that might be true, but is that are you doing it only because it's the right thing to do? Is there any ever any time there's something is the right thing to do, but it's easier not to, and you choose not to do it? Well, yeah. But in this case, in this instance, if this is what you saw, you would intervene. Yes. I mean, convicted. Yes. Like people are starting to get mad now. They're they're seeing the poor old lady. They're looking at this lady named Kay, who was an old lady in our group. Like like they were seeing her as the old lady being robbed. You could see the anger being, yes, I would, no, there's no way I'd let that happen. I said, why would you do it? And the guy, one guy says, because I don't want, I said, stop. When you say you don't want something, what are you also saying? And this guy's face looked like he just swallowed hard. He said, well, when I, and he gets real calm. 
When I say I don't want something, I guess what I'm saying is I want something else. I said, so in that moment that that lady was being robbed, the thing you would most want to do is put a stop to it. And I said nothing, and the place was quiet. You could hear the hum of the air conditioning for a good 20 seconds. No one would speak. And I finally said, so what would happen if all of you did what you most wanted to do under your circumstances and under the consequences that the world has for you? Then there was murmuring. Nobody really wanted to say it out loud. Like people that were sitting next to each other might, oh, you know, yeah, point. Okay. And I said, all I want out of you today is to determine for yourself what it is you most want in your life. And then under your circumstances, figure out how you can have it. Why is that scary? And the old lady that everybody was looking at wise old lady, unfortunately passed away not long after that, said, well, they might just figure out how to be happy. And everybody laughed. But I'm sure it stuck with them. I'm sure some of those people that were in that room that day, this is like 15, 18 years ago, I guess 18 years ago, would remember that. Because it was a challenge to everything that they were ever taught. That man by his nature is bad. Man by his nature is evil. That is the teaching of the church. Salvation only through God and and grace. But the truth is most people don't want to hurt anybody. So what are your biggest reasons for not doing what you want most in life? They're not because somebody would get hurt if you did it. There may be circumstances that prevent you from doing it easily, but what holds you back? It's not because, well, if I did what I most wanted, I would grab a knife and start slitting throats. And notice I didn't say people should do what they most want in the moment. There are times where we get angry, overly passionate. We don't think clearly. I said people should do what they most want in the world, most want in life. That means in, in, in first planning, thinking. What about psychopaths? What about sociopaths? They're going to do bad things anyway. See, they actually do what they most want to do. They actually do in spite of the fact that it's wrong. They do it in spite of the fact that there's laws against it. It's not the psychopath and the sociopath that's held back in any way by the concept of you shouldn't do things. It's the moral and ethical people who hold themselves back in some false belief, in some false morality that it's somehow wrong to do what you want. I'm going to ask you the same question. I basically asked those people in that room. How much of what you do already is what you most want to do, specifically under current circumstances? So people will say things like, let's take it like something very germane to this community. I would like to move to another state but my family lives here. Well, then what you most want to do under your circumstances is is live where you are. Do you understand that? 
That's what that means. You are, you are making a choice not to move. You could move. Maybe it would cost you your marriage. Maybe the choice to have your marriage is more important than the choice to live in another state. There's nothing wrong with that. When I say you should do what you most want to do, it doesn't mean that you should leave your spouse to move to another state just because you would like to live in another state. It does mean if you really don't think you belong with your spouse anymore, if you really feel like your marriage is a failure, if you really believe that you're, you're, both of you would be better off apart, if you've attempted reconciliation and it doesn't help, or if you want to fix the marriage and the other spouse does not, well, then you probably should, you know, whether you go to another state or not, you should probably exit the marriage. How can you be in a marriage where you want to fix things and the partner does not? You're willing to do the work and they aren't. They're being abusive. You tell them and they continue to be abusive to you. Then what you would most want in that circumstance, if you're honest with yourself, is to separate yourself from the abuse. You see how it works. Doing what you most want is not a blank check to be reckless. If mo what you most want right now, like yesterday I saw a picture of the concept of the new uh, Dodge Barracuda. I've always loved the original Barracudas. And I made a funny post on Facebook. By the way, I got a, like a, just a ton of comments, more than most of my serious ones. Here I am in my mid-40s, prime time for a midlife crisis, and not even tempted to do something to recapture my youth, and then Dodge goes and does this. Tons of people saying, Jack, just if that's what you want, go get your car. Same people would probably be horrified by what if everybody did exactly what they wanted to do most in the world. Okay, So if I run out, now I can't buy this car yet, it's still a concept, but let's say I wanted a Challenger, a really great Dodge Challenger. That's what I want. And I had this moment where I'm like, I want that. Doing what I most want in the world doesn't mean, actually, it actually calls on me to not act impulsively because if I examine it at a higher level, I may determine that's what I want in this moment, but it's not what I want most in the world, is it? Because I don't. My wife and I started planning our trip to New Hampshire and Maine next year because I'll be speaking at Porkfest. And she said, you know what? I want a Jeep during this trip. I want to rent a Jeep. It'll cost more money. I want a Jeep. Because I didn't run out and buy a sports car, I was able to say, you know what, honey? If you want a Jeep, we'll get a Jeep. I don't care if it's $500 more for two weeks. We'll just get one. I can have anything I want. I just can't have everything I want. So I am compelled then to choose what I most want. But most of us never get to that level of a question because we do what my church group did. We become horrified by it. We immediately place in our mind pictures of the purge or something like that, if you've ever seen that movie. You know, Escape from New York or The Road Warrior or something like that. If everybody did what they want. One reason people come to prepping, and it's not a good reason, is they really believe if this country falls on hard times, it will turn into a Rawlsian-type dystopia. That everybody will start killing everybody, and only small groups of real patriots will be good. It's not how history has shown the world to be. Now, it's true. People do 
bad things when their children are starving. But they tend to only do them when they feel they have no other choice. It's not an excuse during a time of plenty like we have now for not building your dreams. It's not a reason to black out the question, why don't you do what you most want to do with the most dark thoughts you have? Because what you want to most want to do, unless you are a psychopath or a sociopath, is none of those things. You don't want to go next door to your neighbor who has a nicer car than you and steal his car. There might be moments of weakness as a human being where you feel like, hey, I'd like to have what that person has. I could take it. That's how people get themselves into trouble. Even most criminals, though. Criminals that are products of their environment and products of bad decisions versus the psychopath and sociopath. When you ask them if you could go back and not do this thing, most say, I, I wouldn't. Especially people that spend a long time in prison, they mature and grow up a little bit while they're there. Actually are thinking about trying to put their lives back together. So I wish I could go back and talk to that young kid I was and tell him not to do it. They didn't want to, but they wanted to. Because they acted in the moment instead of for what they most wanted. Do you even know what you most want? Do you have any idea what you most want to do? Most people don't. You ask people, like, well, what do you most want? They come up with some nonsense about partying or something like that or never working. And you know what? Answering what you don't want is a pretty good way to figure out what you do. But it's not what I asked you. What do you want? I don't want to work. It's probably not true. Like I said the other day, people don't hate work. People hate jobs. So when people even say, like, I don't want to work, that's not what you mean. So what you're saying is you want to sit on the couch and never move. Well, no. I guarantee when they start talking about activity, some of it's work. So they don't even know what they don't want. That's how confused they are. If you still think that this idea of doing what you most want in the world is dangerous, because some people will do bad things with it, let me put it another way. Who is more likely to harm other people? A truly happy person or an angry and stressed out person? Just answer that honestly. Who's more likely to hurt other people, a happy person or an angry person? Who's more likely to hurt other people, a joyful person or a miserable person? Do you think most criminals walk around really happy all the time? Do you think some young punk who robs a liquor store with a gun to get some money is really happy while he's doing it? Unless there's something cross-wired in his brain. And more importantly, does your belief that people shouldn't do what they most want to do, whatever misguided reason you have that belief, prevent that person from robbing a liquor store? More importantly, had that person had somebody have this discussion with them in their life, had they sat down and actually thought about what they most wanted and designed their life choices around getting what they most wanted, is it likely that they would have never robbed that liquor store? Or broke into a home? Or set somebody's house on fire? Like, if the person really thought about the future and what they most wanted, how unlikely is it that they would do those stupid things or those mean or vicious things? 
And again, when you point to the people that are just, frankly, evil people, they do it anyway. Your rules and your personal belief systems do not impact them at all. Isn't this the same argument we make against gun grabbers? Well, people say, well, if we had a law where nobody could have a gun, then there wouldn't be any guns. We say, no, the people that will use guns for evil will still get guns and still use them for evil. And we're right. Well, people that will justify doing bad things because it's what they say they most wanted to do, they'll do that whether you hold that belief or not. But what would you do differently? In the words of that old lady Kay, you might just figure out how to be happy. So who's more likely to be the happy person? The person who pursues their dreams or the one that suppresses them? Honestly, do you know people that chase their dreams? How would you generally classify them even when it doesn't always work out for them? I generally find that they're happy, optimistic people. Maybe one of the reasons they pursue their dreams is because they're optimistic, or maybe they're optimistic because they pursue their dreams. Or maybe those two things feed each other, and it doesn't matter which one you do first. I think it's that one. But I, in general, find that people that pursue what they most want are happy, optimistic people. And they're generally the kind of people that help other people along the way. Because they realize the more people they help, the closer they can get to what they're looking for. They generally attract people that want to help them. So I'm back to my original question. What if, what if everyone did what they most wanted to do? We already know the bad people are already either doing that or doing bad things because they're not following that rule. So I actually think if everybody did what they most wanted to do, with a long-term look, not an immediate impulse, that's the key, that we would have a much more peaceful, happy, prosperous world. All the horror, all the darkness is a phantom. It is both a mechanism of control, because trust me, I'll tell you who doesn't want you to do what you most want to do, the government. I think the government wants a society where people do what they most want to do without fear, that what they fear is the consequences of stupid behavior versus the state breaking down because people actually exercise freedom? Do you think the state is interested in that? And what does the question, what do I most want, lead to? So, for instance, with health, because we did lifestyle health recently, if, if one of their things is what, one of the things that I most want in the world is to be healthy, well, then it leads you to need to formulate a plan to be healthy, and you have to formulate that plan in absence of dogma. If you want time freedom, then a 40-hour-a-week job is no longer the answer. And do you think the government really wants the majority of people to start, you know, building their own businesses where they can avoid taxation at a higher level? Do you think they really want that? Do you think they want free and independent thinkers who plot their own destiny or people that follow the design that state has laid out for them? They don't care. You can be at the bottom rung, the middle rung, or the upper rung of society as long as you follow the plan and do what they tell you to do because then they get control. So what would happen if everybody did what they most wanted to do? What would the world be like? 
And again, do you even know what you most want to do? I find most people don't. Are you afraid to ask the question? You know, I look at people a lot of times when it comes to a lifestyle change, and I realize they don't fear that they can't do it. They fear that they will. If you look at somebody with addictive behavior, some of this say is, is addictive to drugs, addicted to drugs, and they know they're an addict, even if they claim they're not, they know they're an addict, addicted to alcohol. You say, no, if you quit drinking, you'll be happier. It's not that they don't believe it. They're afraid that it's true. They have identified with the behavior of the consumption of a substance. They've made it part of who and what they are. And they're actually afraid that if they walk away from it, that they'll be able to. They're not afraid that they won't be able to. They're afraid that they'll become that happy person in absence of that thing that's become part of them, they've attached themselves to. They do it with diet. They're afraid that if I do this, it'll actually work. I know it sounds crazy, but it, that's what people do with all the things they use to hold themselves back. They're afraid of the success. Because it will meet a transformation. Where you really see it is in a couple. Where both are unhealthy, for example. And instead of doing it together, one does it alone. That other partner starts to feel really threatened. What if my partner becomes healthier and happier and more vibrant, more attractive? And I don't. But I don't want to do it. They'll sabotage their partner. Oh, honey, I know you've worked so hard. Just have a piece of cake. They think they're being kind, but they're being cruel. Machiavellian. That's what's going on. Because they're not willing to take the step themselves. They don't want someone to step away from them. We, are, we, we see that really clearly when one person does it to another, but we don't see it when a person does it to themselves, especially when that person is us. So here's my big question for you today. What would happen if you figured out the things that you most want in your life? Let's say three to five of the things that you most want in your life. And it was not based on impulse, because impulse will lead you to do things that shoot down and destroy the things you most want. But if you really mapped out, these five things are what I want for my life. And then you said, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to design a plan to get them one by one. I'm going to figure out what the easiest one of the five is to get, and I'm going to design a plan to get that. And I'm going to make that happen in my life. Then I'm going to take the second next one. And I'm going to design a plan to get that. And because I know the more I do this, the better I'll get, the happier I'll become, and the more opportunity I'll create, eventually I'm going to get the majority of all five. So maybe I'll never get 100% of all five. But I can get all of them to varying degrees into my life. What would happen if you wrote a plan for that? I'll tell you what would happen. A lot of you are saying, well, I would, I would be able to do it. Maybe. You would, come to, you would come to grips with the reality that it has always been within your grasp to do it. That you have nobody to blame but yourself, and you can do these things. And then you would have to decide, are they really what I most want?
are the responsibilities that I'm using to avoid my responsibility to myself actually what I most want? You might come to grips with the fact that what I say I most want is to move out of New Jersey. Who wouldn't want to move out of New Jersey? But your family's in New Jersey, and I'm from Jersey. A lot of people don't know that. I was born in Jersey. I got a lot of family in Jersey. Jersey families are tight. A lot of Italian going on in there, right? Yes, I'm Ukrainian, but yeah, on one side of my family there's an Italian tree, and it's the tree with the most branches. Italians are a prolific people. Italians and Irish for some reason, all right? Um, so maybe what you figure out is, well, why do I want to leave New Jersey? And it's one, I'm tired of paying taxes. Are there ways to stay in New Jersey and be with your family and pay less taxes? So is, is what you want to keep more of your money or to get out of New Jersey? Is New Jersey the means by which you acquire that which you really want? So maybe you can't completely eliminate the taxes you pay to the, to the Satan state of New Jersey, but maybe you can mitigate them some way. Maybe what you want is a bigger piece of land. So maybe the compromise is let's move a little bit away from the population center, but we're still close enough for you to see your aunts and uncles, honey. See, when you actually start mapping out what you want, you realize that the consequences of decisions and the circumstances you have do not change. So then you can either alter the circumstances or design within the confines of the circumstances. But what it really does, the important part of this question, and again, this is why it creates abject horror in people's faces just by asking it, is it puts the onus 100% in your lap. Oh, this is what you want? Get on with it, Sparky. Get going. Make it happen. But it's so much harder for my generation here. Shut up. Doesn't matter if it's harder. But I'm so old now. I Shut up. You only have so much time left, then you better get on it. But what I really want requires, then you better get on with doing that or figuring out that you don't really want it because it requires too much of you. This is the key to lifestyle design right here, being willing to face this question head on. Because the question that terrifies you is not, what if everyone did what they most want to do? The inferred question of, what if you did what you most want to do is what what brings up the shields on the ship because hey man the Romulans or the, the Cardassians or whatever are coming photon torpedoes are on the way man they're going to they're going to destroy my illusion I've created for myself shields up shields up and the shields are visions of horrible things happening because of freedom and you wonder why this country is so afraid of freedom and liberty while they pretend to pay homage almost religious like admiration of the concepts of freedom and liberty but that's what's that's what's happened to our country freedom and liberty have become like gods we worship them but they're over here instead of with us oh that we were only worthy of freedom and liberty but since we're not we need a bigger government and more intervention And most of us will then turn around and use that same government as one of our excuses to why we don't do what we most want to do. The government won't let me. You start talking to people. Well, what do you want? To, and when you start getting them to tell you, so the government says there's no way 
Like, I have one guy tell me, I'd like to open a brewery. People do that all the time. Well, you got to get a license and all. So what you're saying is you don't want to do the work. You're not saying that you can't do it. And maybe that's not the right thing for you. Maybe that's just impulsive. Maybe it's just an idea you had. But whatever it is you want to do, there's a way to do it. There's always a way. The words of Jeff Lawton, the more restrictions upon a design, the more eloquent the final design is if the designer is up to the task. So are you up to the task of designing the life that you want to live? And if you are, then what's holding you back from doing what you most want to do? I didn't say do it this second. I said do it. If you want to quit your job and you have no savings, there's a path to quitting your job. It's not tomorrow morning I'm going to go in and tell my boss, you're an idiot, and I quit and go screw, because Jack Spiergo said to do what I most wanted to do. It's I need to sit down and determine what about my lifestyle requires, requires me to be in a job that I hate, and how do I change that so that I can have a job that I don't hate, or I can do things other than have what we think of as a job. Boy, it sucks having responsibility, doesn't it? It just seems like it. It doesn't really suck. It's the most empowering and freeing thing in the world. What would happen if you figured it out and designed it into your life? That's all I've got for you today, because that's enough. Over 11 years, I've been doing the show. Yesterday, I posted something on Facebook about the fact that Voting won't change anything. I said something to the effect, if, you're go if you think that we can elect the right people and hold them accountable and change the system that is the problem, while you're doing that, add cold fusion and zero-point energy to your list of things to do. People got mad. People said, so what should we do? My response to one of them, and I know he's a long-term listener, is I've been telling you what to do for 11 years. What more do you want from me? What more do you want from me? When will you rise up and do for yourself? Instead of bitching about taxes, when will you build a lifestyle that mitigates and reduces them? Instead of bitching about the freedoms that you have lost, when will you begin to live a life that claims some of them back? Whether that means moving geographically or being more creative in how you do things, that's up to you. When will you start acting like the pig instead of the cow? The cow stays in the fence. The cow becomes conditioned. We can paint lines on a piece of pavement at a gate when cows have learned what a cattle guard is. A cattle guard is a series of like pipes. And if the cows try to walk across the pipes, their feet fall in them and it hurts. So you can have a gate that's always open and the cows can't get out because they're afraid of the cattle guard. Once cows are conditioned to do that, you can literally just paint black and white stripes. And the cows see the stripes and they think it's a cattle guard and they won't walk out. Try that with a pig. You set up a fence and you electrify it. The cows get electrocuted enough times, they stop testing the fence. Even the pig is really smart that's like, that fence is electric. Every once in a while, every once in a while, that pig's going to be like, uh, it's going to suck, but... Oh, shit, yep, yep, damn it, yep, that fence is still hot. And But one day, you know, the weeds grow up on the fence, farmer gets a little bit lazy, 
Piglings in. Uh, uh, uh. What? Oh. Well. Can I root underneath this thing? Can I climb over it? Can I push through it? Can I get out? That pig gets out. A couple more pigs get out. They might get out into a larger plot of land with another fence. Start hiding in the woods. Farmer can't find them. Start testing that outer fence. Ah, damn it. Start living more like a wild pig in one day. Oh. Ooh, look at the hole. Hmm. You know what? This fence is electric, but that's a pretty big hole. For just a couple minutes of pain, I think I can get through that hole. <laughs> pig's out. Another pig's out. Another pig's out. Next thing you know, there's four million pigs running around the state of Texas as feral pigs. We don't have a feral cattle problem in this state. Stop being the cow. Stop being domesticated. The pink pig will escape, and in one or two generations, he looks like the Russian boar. Because the pig does what it most wants to do. The pig refuses to be fully domesticated. Why is the pig being smarter than you? It's my question for you. Don't you think you can do better than just squeezing through the hole in the fence? Don't you think you can figure out how the fence operates, short it out, so that you can escape and have more freedom and liberty? And what business do you have complaining about the liberty you don't have until you're exercising 100% of the liberty that you do have? With that, we've wrapped up another episode of the show. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you like the work that we do, remember there's two ways that you can support us. One is to become a member of the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you get access to discounts to so many things. I promise you your membership will pay for itself. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on Members to learn more. The other way you can help us is, like I call it the painless way, because you're probably going to buy stuff online this week, this month, sometime. All I'm asking you to do, if you get something out of this show, Just take a couple extra seconds, and before you shop online, go to tspaz.com. Start your shopping there. No matter what you buy, you'll help support us in the work that we do. And you can see all of the items that I've reviewed on Amazon, and maybe some of those will work for you. Today's item of the day is the Streamlight Stylus Pro Flashlight. This is my go-to EDC light. It uses two AAA batteries, not CR123s, not 18650s, not any kind of weird format, AAAs. The batteries that you probably have rechargeable versions of in your home right now. Triple A's, the ones that you can hijack out of a remote control or anywhere, somewhere, if you need them. Triple A's, the things you can buy giant packages for not much money from Costco. Triple A's. And it's really bright. And it's so thin, when you put it in a pocket, and it clips in like a pen up against the back of that pocket, that you even forget it's there until you need it. You pull it out, push a button, and it's on. And the reason I brought it around today, it's on sale right now, 45% off the list price. I've been recommending this flashlight for over 10 years. I've been recommending this flashlight when TSP had like 500 listeners instead of 200,000. I have sold thousands of these flashlights. When I look at my affiliate reports, I cannot see that you, Tom, bought a flashlight. But I can see how many people bought flashlights this year. I have sold thousands of these things in 10 years. And I have had zero people tell me, this light sucks, I wish I would have never bought it. And trust me, when people have a problem with something I recommend, I hear about it. And I want to, don't take that the wrong way, but 
I don't get any complaints about this thing because it just works. And at the price that they are, when people say we well, can get a better flashlight, sure. But you can buy two or three of these. And if one starts to not work, you just replace it. I mean, there is a life cycle to any piece of electronics. But Streamlight is an amazing company with amazing products. And if you want, you know, the fancy weird batteries and stuff, I still say look at Streamlight. But if you want affordable, reliable, battle-tested, and proven in the real world, the Streamlight Stylus Pro is the light you want to look for. And again, today, it's on sale for 45% off. You can find it at thesurvivalpodcast.com. You can find it at tspaz.com. And you'll always get an email once a day with new episodes, YouTube videos, uh, when the podcast goes live, all that stuff. If you subscribe to the Daily Mail, just go to thesurvivalpodcast.com and click on subscribe. Fill out a form, name and email address. And don't worry, you'll never get spam from me. I send one email a day. I will never share your information. I actually get pretty insulted after 11 years. When people say, are you going to sell my information? No, and I'll tell you why. Because I don't want to. <laughs> I did a whole show today about doing what you most want to. I most want to, I most want to not share my customers' data with competitors. I most want to not give your information to somebody else. Because you're my customers. I like you being exclusive to me as possible. Because it's in my best interest. Why would I give your data to somebody else? That's stupid. See? Don't call me stupid. I'm not stupid. You're not, you aren't either. So don't ask stupid questions. Of course I'm not going to share your data. All right. With that, we've wrapped up the show. And it is time for our song of the day. Well, we're in John Cougar week. And this is um, a song called Crumbling Down. It was released in 1983. And it's off his uh, album, Uh-Huh. Uh, this this album came out before American Fool, which was his big breakout album. He was successful, but what made him a megastar was the next album release. This song is actually very political, and it's very anti-Reagan. Um, Mellencamp described this as a political song. He told Rolling Stone in 2013, Reagan was president. He was deregulating everything, and the walls were crumbling down on the poor. Um You know, sometimes people wonder why I play songs by people that are extremely leftist. Well, if I stop playing music by leftist musicians, I'm not going to have a lot of music to play. Um, I think this song's a great song in spite of the concept that Mellencamp believed that removing government was bad. See, I think what's actually... Th this song is, to me, is more about the need to tear down the walls. That we, instead of worrying about the walls crumbling down, we should be tearing down walls. And I think that if you look at what people are doing now, things like cryptocurrency, etc., instead of waiting for government to fix our problems, realizing that government doesn't tear down walls. Government simply builds different walls. That it's up to us to tear down the walls. So... I might be changing the meaning of this song, but see, that's the beauty of music. No matter what the person behind it meant, music is highly personal. And John Cougar, Mellencamp, you can mean whatever you want by this song. But when it comes to walls, I want to see them all come crumbling down. With that, it's been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't.